Not ready? Too bad. Head back, face forward, and hold on like you mean it! Hello and welcome to Review Time's Theme Podcast. This is a fortnightly show where we discuss all the ins and outs of attractions and parks from around the world. My name is Luke and I will be your host today for the first time in what seems like ages as we get back into the swing of more traditional podcast episodes now that my trip to Disneyland is well and truly over. Today we'll be talking about a park that's a lot closer to home being the closest thing we have to a local theme park, Luna Park Sydney, which, since we last talked about it, has opened, you know, just a paltry nine brand new rides. Joining me as always is the man who I would normally introduce with a joke, but the biggest joke is the fact that Sydney doesn't have any real theme parks. It's my Review Time co-host, Dominic Lacey. It hurts because it's true. Like, I, I like Luna Park, Sydney. It's, it's a good, good place to go when you just want an amusement. But it, it's not the same thing as, you know, you wake up early, you get to a theme park for the entrance, you're surrounded by you know, this the theme park goodness, and then mm. you enjoy that for the day and then you leave. Luna Park, Sydney is more of that thing that you go in for a couple of hours and then you leave. It's not gated as well. You're just surrounded by Sydney, which I think is a good thing. If it yeah, was it gated, it, really it would unique. be. Even yeah. if it's not a true theme park experience, it's just a really good boardwalk amusement park. And boardwalk amusement parks weren't ever really designed to be, you know, fully immersive theme parks where you go from open till close and there's that many, you know, entertainment offerings and attractions and variety of things to do that it will fill up a whole day you know half the time we go to Luna Park Sydney we go to Luna Park Sydney then we go into the city and have dinner somewhere and then we might come back you know to do some night rides or something like that but I've never spent a whole day open to close at Luna Park uh, partially because it's a 12-hour operating day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna be doing a lot of rewrites because there's 18 rides in the park and 12 hours to do them all so surprisingly <laughs> i think this is one of the things that plays into luna park sydney's favor because you can come and go it means that they're not restrained to sort of like a big group of people coming at the start mm. of the day and then it dwindles or tapers out over the day as we see in most australian theme parks it's that thing where people come and go and it's fairly constant like the busiest it probably gets is a friday and a saturday night and that's mostly because that's when when people are free they're out and about but we do have the luxury that because we work uh on fridays for review time that we can go to the park on a friday during the day and ignore all of the the school kids (laughs) and everyone else will have the rides to ourselves Mm, exactly and we have actually talked about Luna Park uh, before, but it was before this big overhaul that I was mentioning at the top mm. of the episode. So Luna Park Sydney in uh, 2021 closed for around eight months of that year. Uh, it was meant to open earlier, but then things started going crazy again here in New South Wales. It was only meant to take six months for them to rip out and install eight brand new attractions, which were all meant to open in June and the park closed in January. <laughs> uh, that didn't happen. They ended up opening in October with eight of their new rides. And then the big ticket event, uh, which is the third evolution of the Big Dipper roller coaster, ended up opening uh, on Boxing Day, 26th of December yeah. last year. So 
we've got, even though we talked about this park before, the park is at least 50% completely different from when we last talked about it, which is crazy. it's, It's one of those crazy things where during the time that uh, SeaWorld up in the Gold Coast, they had an announcement for New Atlantis, which is coming. Uh, people overseas have probably seen the the changes which we're seeing. I, actually, I don't know if it is a, an internationally recognised change. I know I that feel like the- it's a DC Rivals or something where it's enough going on that it would get the international attention sort of thing. Yeah, so pretty much we, in 2019, we received the announcement that SeaWorld Australia was getting this huge overhaul. It was going to get three new attractions, which was a wooden roller coaster from the Gravity Group and then two flat rides. That was announced in May of 2019. Luna Park Sydney, if I remember correctly, it was kind of like mid-2020 that they dropped, that they were going to close for six months. And then they're like, hey, we're bringing in nine new rides. And everyone's like, oh, that's not going to happen. You you can't mm. do that. But they did it. They pretty much stuck to schedule. But as you said, Big Dipper was a little bit delayed. It was only six months off track. But we're still waiting for the wooden roller coaster at SeaWorld. And during that time, yeah. Luna Park Sydney <laughs> went I'm pretty sure and- originally as well, they actually did advertise that the Big Dipper wasn't meant to open until later in the year. It was... They it did. was kind of hidden more in the announcements, but still, it like, even from open to close, less than a year, this brand new first of its kind roller coaster has been constructed in what is the thinnest parcel of land. Like, <laughs> this thing goes behind a building into a backstage area for a second almost. Before going, you know, out the back of the park, the Lunar Park is kind of split into two halves and it's the back half of the park that's pretty much completely revitalized. I guess um, for those that don't have a visual image of Luna Park, I feel like it's fairly well known considering that it was featured in things like Finding Nemo and stuff like that, as well as Sydney Harbour is fairly iconic. But mm. for those that don't know the actual layout of the park, it's kind of like a really long rectangle and it's a very thin theme park. If you imagine like Main Street, USA, kind of everything fits into that. Yeah. And I'd, I'd actually say it's even smaller than that, but... Basically, Depends they the went park. through Probably Disneyland Main Street almost. Yeah. yeah. So where you think of like where the, the castle and the hub is, that's kind of where they did this whole new development. They just had this flat concrete area and most of it is flat concrete. It, it is a boardwalk amusement park, but it's just designed to sort of integrate in with the the Sydney Harbour. And then this back area that was just flat concrete that they used for temporary attractions, they went through and added a lot of permanent attractions, which is cool because Luna Park Sydney always had that feeling of like, it was just a a traveling fair. Mm. And now it feels like it has more of its own identity, but it still has things that are questionable that we'll sort of talk about more (laughs) as we go through, because it is a very unique theme park and some in some ways it's good unique and in some ways it's uh, mm. sure <laughs> uh, let's say yeah unique's a good word because it it it's got this weird thing where it's designed to be a you know throwback to old amusement parks you know in the 1930s it's still got probably one of the best surviving examples of a 1930s style funhouse in the world but then, like, it, 
embraces that for some parts and then doesn't embrace it for other parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, just for, just for context, I quickly looked it up. Uh, it's almost the exact width of Main Street USA at Disneyland if you take into account the the buildings. So from you know inside of the buildings, imagine Main Street exists, but where the buildings are, that's where the rides are. Uh, it's also pretty much the entire park. The length of the entire park is almost identical from the ticket scanners at Disneyland to the castle. That's the entire oh, wow. length of the entire of the So whole it is. Park. It is just Main yeah, Street it's USA. Main Street, essentially. And it solid effort on them. They fit 18 rides in mm. there. And nine of those are brand spankers, which is insane. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a crazy park. Uh, I think to start talking about Lunar Park, you gotta talk about the icon, which is the the big giant smiling face that you have to walk through. <laughs> uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, the face is creepy. The face is scary. If you go into Coney Island in this park, they have pictures of what the old faces used to look like. And the current one is, you know, a dream compared to the nightmare of some of the old ones. The paralysis demons that used to exist yeah. on Sydney Harbour. I don't know whether it was embracing that atmosphere of Coney Island where it's kind of like, you know, strange and whimsical. But there were some. If you go, uh, Lunar Park Sydney actually has a web page dedicated to their history. If you look at that, it showcases some of the old faces. They are nightmarish. Yeah. Like, they are just horrifying works of art <laughs> yeah because they are they're they're giant uh you entered through it it's very iconic the melbourne lunar park has has a similar sort of thing and both the australian lunar parks that currently still exist i believe there was another one in south australia there was one another point. one in adelaide yeah. it was in a an odd spot in adelaide as well it doesn't exist but both uh both of well, all three of those were based on the uh classic you know, Coney Island uh, Lunar Park from New York City, which opened up in 1903. Uh, Coney Island Lunar Park here in Australia opened up in 1935, which is a lot later. But still, we're approaching the 90th birthday of this theme park that has opened and closed a lot over the years. And almost, other than entering through a face, doesn't have too much in common with what it would have looked like 90 years ago. But no, still, so it's pretty crazy. There were multiple times that they went through and just demolished this. For those who want to sort of know a little bit more about the history of this park and how it came to be, back when they were building the Sydney Harbour Bridge, they had a big warehouse where they did lots of uh, the fabrication and manufacturing of the steel for the actual Harbour Bridge itself because it was just easier back in those days to do it on site and you didn't have anything like international competitors and stuff like that. The shipping supply chains just didn't exist the way they do today. So they did everything on this big plot of land. And then once it was up, they kind of reached out to a different groups and different mobs to be like, what do we use this for? Mm. And there were ideas, I believe, off the top of my head, there were some things for like residential complexes. There were just sort of other variations where you could chuck in restaurants and that there. But then Luna Park, the, the original Luna Park Sydney owners were like, let's put an amusement park here. And it was quite successful back in the day, especially during things like the World Wars and stuff like that, mm. because people would come into Sydney and they'd only have a couple of days to hang out and 
be in the city. And so everyone would go to Luna Park, especially on the nights. And you look at these pictures from back during the heyday of this early theme park when it was just operated by mm. the original company. I believe it's gone through about four changes of hand since then. But yeah, the original it's closed mob- for long periods of time and reopened under new hands and new management and all of mm. that. Uh, but the, currently, it's the current operations been since 2004. Yeah. So it was shortly after. So before this iteration is when we actually got the second Big Dipper and that mm-hmm. then moved over to Dreamworld when they opened up Luna Park and they're like, yes, we can run a theme park. And then they didn't and they went bankrupt. Whoops. But they, yeah, I, the current stage seems to have lasted for a long time hopefully with you know big investments like this is the sign that it's going to last for a long time i know yeah. there's heavy restrictions on the land that it pretty much can't be sold off it pretty much has to be operated as a theme park sort of thing so because this if this piece of land was for sale it would probably be the most expensive piece of <laughs> land ever sold in australian history like i can't think of anywhere that would be worth more they would put like six crown casinos on that (laughs) plot of land that it would very quickly be taken up. It's also surprisingly one of the few amusement parks in the world to be run by an agency of government. So the amusement park is actually owned by the Luna Park Trust Reserve, and that is part of the government of New South Wales, as well as a couple different mobs. They all sort of go in and pitch in. Yeah. But it's in this crazy position because as we were saying it's a very old theme park and they you know it's heritage listed as well which yeah. and that's the thing well parts of it are heritage listed it's very strange so the face is heritage listed coney island is heritage listed and then mm. i believe crystal palace is heritage listed yeah um so the, there's three parts of it so pretty much they can't do anything anyway if they like even if the park closes they can't build on top of it anything else anyway because of the law and the fact that, you know, a big chunk of it is heritage listed, which is a good thing for people like us because, mm. um, like, it's the perfect place, you know, we have annual passes. We're lucky. It's the kind of place you can easily go for a few hours and be super satisfied. It's not like when we go to a, you know, a Disney park or even a local Australian theme park where you almost feel like, well, I don't get to go here very often, so I need to be here from open till close. Yeah, and it's, have to do everything. Yeah, you have at a lot least of fun, twice. sure, but it's also a lot of stress. Where to come here and yeah. go? If I come, I get on uh, Big Dipper, a handful of other attractions. Uh, I've had a good day. That's all I need, sort of. Thing. We rocked up the first time that I went and experienced these new attractions. We rocked up at about midday. We did, it started pouring down rain, so we couldn't do all that much, but then the attractions reopened. I believe we did Sledgehammer, we did the Boomerang Coaster, and then at that point, Big Dipper wasn't open, and we just kind of went, yeah, I'm done. We felt very sick after Sledgehammer. (laughs) It was miserably wet. Well, should we start by sort of walking through the front of the park and, and working our way towards the back because that kind of works to talk about a lot of the the new things as well. Yeah, so you're entering through the face. It's going to take you a little bit of time until you get to something new, but you've got, you know, some must-do stuff. You've got the rotor up here, which is not a must-do for me. It's a 
<laughs> I love the history of this thing and I never need to ride it because it spins really fast and you get stuck to the walls and you spin for like five minutes straight and I don't want to get sick. So I've never been on it. I've watched it plenty of times, but I've never been on it and I don't think I ever need to. Wasn't the mechanism for the rotor made in something like the late 1800s? Uh, yeah, like so the really original old. version was, uh, but that currently is a like a modern version of the ride system. But yeah, it's essentially the, if you ever go to the fair, they've got those spinning UFO style rides. The Gravitrons. Yeah, that's essentially what it is. But the original version, and you said you get stuck to the wall and then the wall falls out from under, like the floor drops and you're just there, just stuck to the wall. It's very cool to see. I've never actually been on it myself, but this is the sort of amusement park that schools will take you to to study things like physics. And this is where they actually teach inertia. So, a thing of as you're spinning around, you stay stuck to the wall because that's how the force is placed on you. It's at such a force that it counteracts gravity. And they used to let you do all sorts of things. You could go upside down. Yeah. You could try and do tricks. You could sort of push yourself out from the wall. They are very strict about it now because it is you just 2022. And yeah. yeah, if you so much as think about moving, they will stop the attraction. And yeah. it's all operated manually, which is really cool. Like yeah, it's like driven, which is ride crazy. ride you can see from the line. And when we were there, she was sort of leaning over, looking down me like, OK, I'm going to push the button. If just sort of like happens, guiding everyone do anything through. Silly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the rotor heading back. Stuff we don't really need to talk about because we talked about it before. Ferris wheel, amazing view of the Harbour Bridge. Mm. Valare, really cool chair swing that's more thrilling than it looks. Uh, wild Mouse, which is, I believe, one of two still operating wooden Wild Mouse coasters in the world. And mm. the only one. Um, that's operating in a developed country, I believe. I think there's oh, wow. one more on RCDB. I might have got that slight uh, fact slightly wrong because I remember when Blackpool closed theirs, it was a big thing, and it was like, oh, Sydney's the only uh, developed world country that still has one. Can't it's remember. Kind of it, of us. Something <laughs> like that. Uh, but it, hey, it's theme parks. If there's a weird technical way they can claim a record they'll do it oh goodness me so we had in when we went to the gold coast we've now got the triple launch coaster which is at dreamworld and so SeaWorld has decided to turn around they've had a dual launching coaster for a while there mm. they've recently put up a sign to be like australia's first dual launch coaster this way and that yeah. only came up when dreamworld opened their triple launch and it's just that thing of like throwing records at each other to be like no i got the record first no i got the record first and well, it's something back we in never the day really we did talked about or made an episode on but it's very reminiscent of the the coaster wars era uh, that happened? The it, war not, that destroyed Australian theme parks. Not even Australia. Do you remember it was the US was fighting for a long time where Cedar mm. Point was like, this is the first coast to go over 200 feet. And then another, you know, Six Flags would be like, oh, this is the first coaster. It was like Six Flags Magic Mountain was like, this is the first um, revolution where they're like, yeah. this is the first uh, looping coaster that isn't a corkscrew, it's a vertical loop. So this is a brand new thing coming in, everybody. <laughs> like and that they, was kind of the start, and it went through to like the two thousands almost. 
it's still happening, I feel, to a degree. We're still experiencing the coaster wars at theme parks, like especially at the Gold Coast. I know that a lot of people compare Dreamworld's new attraction still Taipan to DC Rivals. In my opinion, it's a silly comparison because they both serve different purposes and mm. do different things. Like DC Rivals is an amazing traditional roller coaster with a lift hill, and then you've got Steel Taipan, which is an amazing launched coaster. They they do different things, in my opinion. But exactly. so much of the time, it's still like, no, ours is bigger. Ours is taller. Ours is longer. And I feel to a point that the parks care more than people do. Yeah. Because I don't know thing. many people who, like, come out of the woodworks and go, you know what? I'm going to go to Movie World because I just need a big bloody coaster. Like, realistically, most people just go, hey, Movie World has Batman and my kid likes Batman. (laughs) That's literally my parents' justification for wanting to go later this year is that my niece and nephew like Batman. That's That's it. it. That's all it needs, (laughs) I guess. Fair enough. Um, It gets people in, it gets people in. Mm. Um, so apparently two, there's two other wooden, I just was trying to find the wooden wild mouse coasters. Uh, apparently there's two others that exist in Indonesia. Oh. That's the only others I can find. So we've got a collective group in the Southern Hemisphere. And Yeah, apparently this is where they, they like to live. Uh, and one of them is, has the exact same cars system from the Luna mm. Park, like, you know, the, the red cars with the eyes, uh, but it's themed to the movie cars. Uh, oh. And I don't mean it's painted to look like Lightning McQueen. It has the cars movie logo painted on the top, on the front. And uh, oh, yeah. another one has SpongeBob painted on it. So Have you seen that picture we've got of a Wooden Wild Mouse? And it may not be as well themed as this uh, <laughs> crazy car coaster at uh, somewhere in Indonesia, Wistata Bahari Lamongan. I'm sure that you pronounced that very well. I'm sure I butchered it. <laughs> the, have you ever seen that picture that is of the Cars-inspired attraction that's Lightning McQueen and it looks like he's struggling to stay alive? <laughs> it's, yeah, oh, man, it's, it's, a, it's like bad. a rock and tug type ride system. And it's yeah. there, which is a good segue because this park had a rock and tug for about five minutes. And everyone hated it because it was in a really bad position and it doesn't exist anymore, apparently. So that's it, good. It was smushed. If you yeah. can imagine, like, a regular house bedroom, <laughs> it was smushed into an area that was about the size of that, combined me, with yeah. Hair Razor, the Luna Park Sydney's drop tower being right next to it. It's and just, you had to, like, it was a weird to combo. get two... Both of those attractions queues were the same queue at the start that like split off halfway through the queue, but it was very confusing because it wasn't explained <laughs> that they shared the same queue. So people would just kind of stand out the front going, hey, where do I get into this specific ride? Where do I get into this specific? It would just create, it was, I didn't mind a rock and tug, but this one looked old. Like it wasn't, yeah. and it looked like the, old issue that Luna Park had where all the rides felt temporary. Yeah. It so I'm didn't glad they got rid of it. 
good. It's, mm. I feel it's a lot better to just have that space as empty, uh, as well as talking to people. Luna Park Sydney does not have much space left. There's no. a couple of options that they can use, which would take over food and beverage areas. But beyond that, there's not a lot of room for expansion. And I do think that if we did ever get another roller coaster, and I just... I can't imagine what that would look like, but I feel like we get to the point where they just sort of be on top of each other. You would just have this mm. mess of roller coasters that to, continues to go further and further vertical. <laughs> yeah. There were apparently there was talks of like a Eurofighter going into this space. And, oh wow. Um they had approached manufacturers and for what do I understand? I've talked to people who've seen plans for what that would have looked like originally. Mm. But it's a perfect segue to what they did get. Which is Big Dipper, uh, but not the original Big Dipper and not the second Big Dipper, but another ride called Big Dipper, which has absolutely nothing Dipper to do three, with the original. But two, it's not Big name. Dipper. Yeah. <laughs> except in the fact it's the biggest, most thrilling coaster in the park, I guess. It's the biggest, most dipping coaster in all of Australia. <laughs> they have. Um, and this is a super unique ride. Yeah. Crazy that it is in a park like this. So it's. Uh, an Interman ride, a single rail coaster, and it's the first launch single rail coaster in the world, which I know is one of those weird, technically (laughs) an award, but not really an award because we had to give some form of, well, actually not really, but Mm. it's for this park, it's probably the perfect fit. For the ride type, yeah. Oh, 100%. This is a tight coaster. We've timed it, and I think it's only about 40 seconds from start to finish. You launch out of the station, and then you go around a little twisty bit, and if you look at this track, the track is just spaghetti. There is no point where it pretty much is straight. It's spaghetti-coloured, so that works well. (laughs) It's it's spaghetti-coloured, and it's got some tomato sauce legs. Mm. (laughs) And so... It sort of then zooms through to the back of the park because there's a giant building in the middle of Luna Park, Sydney, which is Coney Island. It's so much in the way that you have to go under it to get to the other part of the park. And that's where all of the new stuff is. But you actually enter Big Dipper 3 from the sort of first section and you go between them. It's quite cool. It's a really unique coaster Mm. that takes you in places that you usually wouldn't go it does feel like the queue's not exactly finished oh the queue yeah (laughs) the queue shall we say which is it starts really nicely though Mm. it's got this kind of like um traditional coney island luna park feeling entrance way with the big onion domes and this sort of classic style uh, I think it, is it meant to emulate like the Taj Mahal or something, that building? Yeah, something similar to that. I'm not really sure what yeah. theme they're going for. But if you imagine similar to, I forget what the building's called in Russia. The yeah, one it's at got St. those Petersburg. big onion domes there. Yeah, it's kind of loosely based off everything. I think it's just yeah. designed to look exotic in a yeah. way. So you go up there, they've got like an original Big Dipper ride vehicle. They've got these really Mm. nicely painted murals. And you're like, yeah, this is really well presented. (laughs) Until you get to the roof where the actual ride is. And it's like metal fencing, but not like cool, nice metal fencing. Like 
prison metal fencing. Yeah, with big mesh displays over them. Like, like I imagine that when you're installing nine new rides, you've probably got a minimal budget for everything yeah. else. And you can tell that. And it's something that when you're there and you go up and you go through the queue, it's serviceable and this is something that i keep on saying about a lot of the new things at lunar park sydney is it's like it's good enough it does its job it's a queue it's not a good queue it gets you onto (laughs) the ride and it's a good ride ride. that's it yeah which i think as well the big thing to remember about lunar park sydney is it's not billing itself as a theme park no it's billing itself as an amusement park but Still basic presentational stuff. I hope they do go back and fix with, you know, over time when they get a bit more capex, they got a bit more money to spend because ultimately in the future, there's not really space to spend more money on new rides. Like, no, they've used all their space. So you're pretty much just going to be spending your money on making the stuff you currently have better. And this is one of the things that that I've heard about Lunar Park Sydney, especially compared to the other Australian theme parks, is most theme parks will come in, build a a product or an attraction to its best possible degree, and then it's all downhill from there. Pretty much it's like if something breaks or if something's irreplaceable, they will just get rid of it. So with the example being of, say... Scooby-Doo Spooky Coaster as it started to decline through the ages. They've added some options there to try and bolster it. I don't think it's all that great, but Mm. they've gone through and over the years it's kind of just minus down, which is disappointing. But the culture apparently at Lunar Park Sydney is it is exactly as you were saying, once they get a little bit more money and the park's been running for a while, they will just go and be like, okay, we're going to spend a million dollars on this random bit. Like, they spend a lot of money upkeeping the park, making sure that it looks the best possible. They have an on-site artist who actually Mm. goes through and paints all of the murals by hand, which is really cool because it, it does feel very fresh in the areas that have that treatment. Unfortunately, you can tell that their budget got real slim towards the end, especially for the the last thing to be done. Yeah. And it really feels like, especially, I reckon that it was, it could have been the thing where they were like, all right, so we're going to open the park in January, in June. So we don't have to worry about, you know, installing this till October, Mm. November. So we'll get a bit of money in that we might be able to spend on making this look more. But uh oh, we don't actually get to open till October. (laughs) Here's $1,000. Make it work. Yeah. It's one of those things as well that I think is going to become a big problem once you bring international tourists into the mix as well, because as we were saying, a lot of the queues are just temporary fencing and it's not, you know, bollards. It's not actually designed in such a way where you can make your own queue. You know how you have the the tapes, the bollards and the rope and all of that? That's not there. It's just metal fences that you can literally pick up to the ground. Yeah. It's like like one hand, you could easily lift them up. And Big Dipper, for example, at the start of the day, it had a switchback. By the end of the day, all of the little iron fences that probably go up to my waist were just shoved in a corner. Yeah. And so everyone was making their own queue. Which everyone was very respectful. But but they were using that switchback, that's for sure. 
Yeah, and then bring in different international cultures with different cultural expectations. That's going to become a problem, especially international travel. Like reopened this week. From yeah, when I understand kind of. it. So I don't know too many people who are traveling at the moment. There are oh, I, I the lucky a lot few of and everyone else will be like, well, yes, you can go to Australia, but you shouldn't. Like, yeah. I know the US, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can go to Australia and you can come from Australia, um, but it's pretty dangerous over there. So you better not go, but we're not going <laughs> to stop you. So. Which is odd because I know that, say, for example, the US was like, we advise not going to Australia even though they've got a lot more cases than we do. I guess it's extrapolation in terms of populations and percentages. And travel and stuff is, like that, I think tra- it's that thing as well, yeah, where travel is just going to be a more dangerous, risky, I guess, rather than dangerous yeah. thing to do. Just because when you're at home, if you see the cases are going up, you could just stay at home. Very yeah. like. You know, if you're lucky enough that your work is allowing that or you can minimize, you can protect yourself. Where you're on a holiday, you're not just going to stay in your hotel. No way. Yeah. No sort of thing. So, yeah, it's weird. I believe that those numbers of do not travel in the US work slightly different here in Australia where we have the do not travel, reconsider your need to travel system where it's completely like, um, your ability to get travel insurance is completely based off the smart traveler government recommendations of where you should yeah. and shouldn't travel to, uh, where I think the US system is literally just, if you get X cases per 100,000 people, they just bump up the travel safety thing. Uh, okay. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Yeah. We have a really interesting way of doing it. As you were saying, we have our travel insurance attached to the status of where you can go. So let's say, for example, you're going to the United States. They have multiple factors that come into this. I think it's sort of you have your Western countries that have good medical facilities. Then you can go over there, get permission to go. You don't even need to ask permission so long as it's in the yellow. Nowhere's green. It's yellow yeah, and no red. green at the moment. And most places are yellow. If it's yellow, you can get travel insurance. But then there's another grade of yellow. There's grade three. And then there's grade four, which is red. Grade yeah. one being green. It's quite strange, but it also works well because then insurance companies can't turn around and go, oh, well, you went over to the US and you got COVID. It's the government is basically backing the yeah, insurance to say, this to is okay. Location. This is fine. Yeah. Which is good. It's yeah, and us. it's always good to check, if you're from Australia, what it says. Like, mm. And because it's not, you know, it'll still say, even if it's saying, you know, be cautious when you're there, it'll give you a list of reasons of why to be cautious. Yeah. You know, it might be areas to avoid, those sort of things as well. Uh, so that's our little travel tips. Uh, but mm. back to Big Dipper, the attraction itself, yeah, is a great, great ride. Uh, ride towards the front if you get the chance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, The train is super light, which means it kind of rattles a lot on the track, especially towards the back, which is where you feel that the most. Um, Not, you know, so rough that it's not enjoyable, but it's best at the front. Oh, there were some rides. The final ride we did. After we'd ridden it like five times in the day. So Goodness me, that was an experience. Yeah, it almost did the opposite of warming up. Like you usually want to ride coasters in the night because that's when they're, you know, speeding along. The track's super hot. They've been running all day, so they run Mm. faster. 
you you know. Uh, this one just seemed to run rougher at night. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those things I would suggest. I know a lot of people will leave some of the bigger attractions until the end because they sort of work their way up to it. If you can, work your way up to it before you get to the park and just go on it as soon as you can yeah. because at night it hurt. Like I remember yeah. us coming off and not even being like, oh, that was fun. We are like, ow. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's good. Get towards the front if you can. Uh, the ops are generally going to be nice enough if you just ask if you can wait a train. They'll let you sort of yeah. thing, um, which is highly recommended. If Biggest thing is because it's a single rail coaster, you can't all have the front row. <laughs> like, yeah. There's seven seats. Uh, this is also the only single rail coaster either of us have done. Uh, mm. difference with an Intamin single rail coaster is you still sit on top of the track, uh, compared to the RMC single rails, you kind of straddle the track a little mm. bit. Um, I hopefully we'll get to go on one of those, but there, there's not a ton of those RMC single rails and I believe they're currently only at Six Flags Parks. Yeah. It's uh, one which, of those weird I've only things been as to well. One Six Flags Park in my entire life. Yeah. So I probably won't get to go on any of these single rails anytime soon. One of the weird things about these single rails as well is that I feel, especially this Intamin model, is technically just a dual rail coaster with a smaller gauge. It's connected, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's still... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's not... So, the Raptor track, which is the uh, RMC one, is <clears> much more of a what you'd expect from a single rail. It works yeah. in a completely different way to a normal roller coaster in the track design. This one's just like, they're like, let's just shrink the track design and instead of, you know, connecting bars that are every foot or so on the track, mm. let's just have it all connected at once. <laughs> it's a good option, though, for parks like Luna Park because I would imagine that it'd save on steel as well as maintenance. You don't have to check all of the joints. There's mm. less welding, all of those fun things that attribute to the you cost about, as well yeah. as it's smaller in yeah. terms of the the actual ride system itself it, it just makes it a lot easier for a park of this size to afford something like that because you can have small roller coasters but this is a big roller coaster in a small body essentially yeah and yeah for a park of this size it's perfect it's a great ride yeah. it's even though it only has you know a train with seven seats so they have two trains this park doesn't really get busy enough that you're ever going to be waiting more than 20, 30 minutes anyway, which is, mm. you know, I feel worth it for an attraction of this quality. So good job, Luna Park Sydney. This is I easily do. the standout of the new expansion. I do want to know what circumstance brought them to open nine attractions at once. Do you reckon it was just that thing where they said, you've got this budget? And so they reached out. And mm. they went to Intamin or something and they're like, we want a roller coaster. What have you got? And they're like, oh, we got this prototype. It'll cost you X amount. And they're like, ooh, that sounds good. It's and then they go to Zampala. A, proto a prototype sort of thing, uh, I wonder. Mm. And because Zampala, I think, is six of the new rides a Zamperla. I think so. Or is so. it SNS? It's one no, of those. No, SNS. No, it's uh, not. <laughs> I think most of them are Zampala. Might, the coasters might be somebody different. I'm not sure. I think the coasters, yeah, are someone else. 
Z- Sledgehammer is definitely Zamperla because yeah. it's not up to the quality of those beautiful <laughs> Interman gyro swings. Uh, yeah, so the boomerang coaster is a Gertzlauer. And the uh, little nipper is a Preston and Barbieri, a company I don't think I've ever heard ah, of. But yes. I'm sure they create a ton of these type of little kids ride like yeah. coasters. It, so. It's exactly what you see at most parks, the kid coasters, where it's like I got does stuck a on laps. it though. Yeah, that's true. Because my <laughs> legs are really long. So uh, the tip is if you're six foot or taller like myself, maybe don't ride it. Because I literally got stuck because of the restraints and my <laughs> knees were stuck against the seat in front in such a way that I couldn't get out. And I almost like I was freaking out internally. I, they're just, they're like, sorry, sir, you're now part of this ride. <laughs> you're you're you here have for to the rest stay. of the day. <laughs> they just, you know, every day they come around, they give you a little bit of food, they shave you and that. <laughs> Someone comes onto the ride and they're like, hi, mister. <laughs> hi, welcome back. Still stuck? Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I miss my family. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh as we we'll go to the back of the park because we started to hmm. talk about it. Uh, this is where most of the new stuff is, but it's also where there's not that much really to talk about because yeah, nothing back here is like amazingly surprising. Like the big it's Dipper not is. groundbreaking. It's just the stuff you'd expect. Some of it is the stuff this park has been missing for quite a long time. Yeah, because the big thing of this is every attraction that's back here, big and small is rideable by an adult as well. A lot of the stuff that used to exist back here was kids' rides, but you yeah. couldn't ride it as a parent or a grandparent. You just had to sit there and watch your child ride it sort of thing. Mm. This is one of the things that I've mentioned before. These nine new rides don't turn in don't turn Luna Park into anything that it's not. It just refines it into something that it should be. Yeah. And what it always should have been, it, it they probably should have added these nine rides over the last decade. That's the way I see it, is that they're yeah. just playing catch-up at this point because it always needed a replacement for Big Dipper 2, and now we've finally got that, as well as it's got that benefit of having basically the three levels of coaster. You've got your very small kids' coaster, you've got your intermediate sort of like, yeah, I've braved the kids' coasters, I'm now ready for something like the Boomerang, and then you've got Big Dipper. And I'm going to say something controversial as well. I actually think that the Wild Mouse is more thrilling than Big Dipper, mostly from the perspective that it's super old. I think it's scarier than Big Dipper, for sure, (laughs) but I don't necessarily think it's more thrilling, like, It's not a better thrill ride. The Big Dipper is definitely the better ride, but it's that thing where you go on Wild Mouth, you hold on for dear life, you get thrashed around. Yeah, it's on the sea, which we know wood plus sea usually equals rot, not fun. You go around those corners quick. I always brace myself thinking, like, just one this day, is the one. it's going <laughs> to fly out. It time. does that thing that wild mouse coasters do where the carts sort of tilt into the corners. Yeah. So you kind of like get that first initial no jolt banking. and you're like, you're just... oh, I'm get- I'm going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's good. Like that's it's good. Like I, that's the whole point of it to make you scared. Um, but yeah, the, the two coasters back here, Boomerang is 
surprisingly thrilling for its size. Yeah. It's the perfect step up coaster, even though it makes me feel a little bit sick going backwards every time. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, which I've heard from a number of people, and I don't usually get sick at all on rides going forwards or backwards. So it's weird that this makes me feel it, but it's short enough that, you know, it's not going to stop me from riding it. So that's yeah. a positive. Uh, and Little Nipper is a, a kid's ride that you do about <laughs> it's a, three, it's a kid's three laps. Uh, that's all that needs to be said about that. But there's not much else, you know, groundbreaking back here. You've got well, a balloon ride. What, uh, no. I said not look. much else because oh, okay. I'm Thank saving goodness. the best for last. Uh, you have a balloon ride, which yeah. is decent. You've got uh, a kid's Ferris wheel that I'm not joking. I I was on for 30 minutes one day because that's how long it takes to load this ride for some reason. Because you can only load one car at a time. There's and a picture of you <laughs> stuck like in this ghost, not I'm ghost, in this tree. attraction. I've been stuck for an hour. <laughs> And that's not hyperbole. Oh. I timed it. It was like 27 minutes from when I got <laughs> on the ride to when I got off. And it's just one of those, like, if you imagine sort of like put your hand in front of you and make a a grabbing shape, mm. like you're grabbing a ball and then put little balls on the end of your fingers and then spin it around. That's kind of what this is. It's just a very small Ferris wheel. <laughs> and yeah. I love the idea that 27 minutes of your day were spent spinning duck on this yeah it's yeah don't ride it if you're an adult by yourself because the thing was we had a group of three adults and they wouldn't let us ride it together so we were taking up (laughs) half of the ride for like 30 minutes (laughs) so good so it was a quiet day thankfully it wasn't like there was a thousand families with kids waiting to get on so that's (laughs) they're all crying Please, can I get on soon, soon, son? And it's it's just called bug. bug. Yeah, that's it. Just bug. Do you think there's any two-letter attraction names in the world, or could this be? They could have mm. called this the record for the world's shortest attraction name. Three letters. I reckon there could be something that's called like ow. Or something like that. That's like OW. OW. I, I think this would be up there as. It'd be close. It'd be close. One of the. It'd be in the top 10, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Sure. Unless there's something like in a different country where you a can have language. two letters that mean something. At least in the yeah, English else. language, I reckon it's going to be up there for one of the shortest named attractions uh, in the world. We Could you imagine to- that's the sort of thing they put in front of the attraction in a, a plaque? It's like world's first three-letter named <laughs> attraction. If they did that, you know Six Flags next week's going to open an attraction just called A, and they'll be called <laughs> uh, the world's shortest named attraction. <laughs> just call it E, have a Markiplier uh, sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> so then you sort of make your way. There's, as you were saying, the... What, what is it? Number 17 is Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine, that's which the is balloon the, ride. Classic balloon, balloon ride. ride. There's it's also like Freaky the Frogs. Oh, and they've got a button on the back, <laughs> and uh, when you push it, it makes this riveting sound, but you can overlap <laughs> the sound effects. But I was so excited to go on this with you mm. 
They'd unplug the ribbit sound effect cable. I could see it unplugged. I think what happened with this is because I remember going past this attraction during the middle of the day and they sort of operate this area really weirdly, especially Mm. through the day on a Friday. They won't run many of them at once. They'll kind of cycle them. So they'll run Little Nipper and then they'll move over and do Cloud Nine. Then they'll do Freaky Frogs and they kind of rotate. The thing about this ride is I remember going past it and it was just going off, like consistently going like, ribbit, 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 ribbit. And no one was there. The ride was off and it was just going ballistic. And literally, as you said, when we got onto the ride later that day, because we had, we may have had a couple of margaritas at that point. So we went back to the park and you're like, you have to ride Freaky Frogs. There's a ribbit button. I was oh, so excited. Yeah. And then I look over the side because my ribbit button wasn't working. Your partner's was and our friend who was with us, uh, Ray, they also had their ribbit button working. This was working. But mine was just unplugged. Like, literally, they just yanked it and left it out. Both of ours. They knew we were coming and we would have abused the ribbit button. (laughs) So they had unplugged it just on mine and yours. After 10,000 ribbits, they have to pay for it. So they only get 10,000 a day. And they unplugged it because they hit their quota. They're like, no, these guys are going to press it too much. It's it's just a jumpy ride. uh, It's an airtime machine. Yeah. Uh, it's got a jump, a literal jump. Like <laughs> the ride runs on wheels and then it goes over a jump, which makes you hop like a frog. And you can see the ride mechanism. So it's kind of I will cool. say kudos to the Lunar Park Sydney staff. At no point was it that thing where they saw four grown adults go onto any ride and sort of roll their eyes. They were yeah. all for it, especially the girl who was at Freaky Frog. She was like, yes, someone's riding my ride. Finally. On a Friday night at 9pm, not many people There's are riding Freaky Frog. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, Sledgehammer's the other big new thrill ride in the park. Mm. Um so this it's got is one issue. I was most excited for. Yeah, we love gyro swings, uh, but it's got two major issues. One, it's meant to run both a 360 degree cycle and a like less thrilling 240 degree cycle, but it only ran the 360 for like a week, and now mm. it only runs for uh, the 240 for some reason. We're not sure well, why. Because there was a video. Where oh, yeah, it got stuck. Apparently, it, it, it's out there. You can find it on YouTube or Facebook, somewhere like that. I remember seeing it, I think, on Facebook. Facebook, yeah. But it's where, during the first week of operation for Sledgehammer, it went upside down. And I remember talking to someone who knew a little bit more about what happened. They said that basically the ride system recalibrated itself. So it thought upside down was home. Yeah. And, and it's literally like, uh, for about I've five parked. minutes, yeah. it's just spinning around at the top. You can hear people like, help. And so they had to manually then like jolt it to be like, hey, can you move? Mm. So they're there like manually controlling it. I imagine just a mechanic just pulling the trigger back and forth, just trying to get Until it to move. Until something happens. But apparently because of that, it did something to the attraction i don't know much more than that that's sort of the extent of what i of what i know and however if you look at the attraction now it's a green color most of it's green for some reason (laughs) there is one motor that isn't green yeah and has apparently been replaced 
So maybe it was a motor issue. They are still running it. It's running at its 240 degrees cycle, mm. which when we've ridden it the couple of times we have, apparently they've changed it to be more exciting because the 240 degrees cycle is boring. As soon By as the it time gets it starting, gets good, you get like one fun swing where you're like, wee, and then it stops. Like, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> and then you Thanks. have to wait eighty years yeah, whilst they get you off the attraction. It's got manual seat belts, and they only have one operator, and it has thirty six seats. So to get loaded into the ride, a manual operator has to check each seat belt twice. So it has to check seventy two seat belts, Ugh. and then to unload. They have to insert a key in every single seatbelt. So for every cycle of the ride, that poor operator has to do over a hundred different seatbelt related things. Oh man. And if there's any issue, then they have yeah. to do it all again. Oh, lucky them. But we've we've saved the best to last. Oh, Big Dipper, oh. who? Sledgehammer, huh? <laughs> Never heard of her. The Boomerang? best new ride. What? Huh? The best new ride at the park. Number 13, unlucky for some, but lucky for us. It is Loopy Lighthouse, which you didn't believe me. You I didn't I believe you. I thought memeing. you were joshing me. You thought I was having a bit of a meme. But this ride is probably the most deceptively fun attraction in the park now. This is one of those rides. I remember what happened because we went to Luna Park and we went on to this and you're like, Loopy Lighthouse is good and it has like no line. Mm. And I'm like, it's like 10 meters off the ground. It's not so jo- I get on even there. jokingly good. It's actually good. And I got on it. I'm like, this is actually fun. So we went and did Boomerang. And then we went back and did Loopy Lighthouse. And I remember this group of teenagers who looked at us, just two grown men in a review time shirt, riding Loopy Lighthouse, <laughs> having fun. And they were so they gave this look that was like, huh, check that out. I come back 10 minutes later, they're on it. Oh, There's yeah. now like a queue and everyone's like having heaps of fun. I reckon just, just get rid of the park, have 27 loopy lighthouses. No, bring a loopy lighthouse the size of hair razor. <laughs> the size my- of the giant drop. 120 meters yeah. loopy lighthouse. It's, it's fun. Go on it and let you and they'll let anyone go on it. Uh don't let them try to squeeze you into the baby seats like they did for me one time. It's got two size seats, an adult seat and a child seat. For some reason the operator thought I would fit into the child seat <laughs> one day. Uh which didn't happen. So We also had this really unique experience where it had just finished pouring down rain and we get to loopy lighthouse and the ride operator is just like sorry man i can't mm-hmm. wipe down the seat if i wipe down everyone's seats and to it would take too long seat for everyone so we sit in the seat and absolutely saturate our butts both of us are just like you were wearing jeans i think i was wearing something that was kind yeah. of like denim it wasn't jeans but it was you know like cargo shorts essentially uh, because I'm at a theme park and I'm an enthusiast so you got to wear course. cargo shorts we then go on to sledgehammer which has a direct view of loopy lighthouse and we look over and I think you just tapped me and pointed at loopy lighthouse and the same ride operator was then wiping down the seats for other people. For the next group? And I was like, <laughs> oh, like, okay. we got conned. Guess we're not. We're we also had enough. an interaction with someone in, in, uh, in entertainment last time we went 
who I'm not sure whether they're a fan of the podcast or not, but they made a very niche reference, which you could only know by listening to this podcast. Yeah. So shout out to, I can't remember the guy's name. But he was they were a- they were in entertainment and it was I think we've told the story before. Zip and Zap where, was their name, maybe? I think so. Yeah. It was out the front of Big Dipper, and we've told this story where we went up to look at where Big Dipper would be going. And there was this group who one of the guys turned to me and said, So are you guys enthusiasts? And I panic in those sort of situations mm. where randoms talk to me. I don't really know what to do so i just said no to try and get out of the situation as much (laughs) as possible and this entertainment person came up and they sort of they were kind of sussing us out and then he leaned in and he was like are you two boys enthusiasts (laughs) (laughs) and i was like wait Mm. we both looked at each other and we're like did he he know (laughs) we we never really got a confirmation he sort of stuck to character whilst doing it as well so feel free to reach out we'd love to send you a shirt or something we are enthusiasts don't tell anyone don't tell anyone just don't scare me with such a question I have to think a lot about that. I was like, oh, I don't know. I? Meanwhile, I'm here Are you going to roast the- me if I say yes? Like, what's the go here? <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought it would be that thing where it would, you know, they'd say, oh, you guys enthusiasts. Do you go on Australian websites that discuss theme bugs? You must be a bully. <laughs> I thought it was going to go down that oh, route. Oh, got us. But I think that will do it. For this week's episode, we talked about Loopy Lighthouse. Nothing more to talk about. It's the most oh, yeah. exciting thing. This uh, is just going to be, it's not even going to be episode 63. It's going to be episode Loopy, uh, season Lighthouse. <laughs> exactly. It's all it and needs And then everything to be. is Loopy Lighthouse. But I hope this pug, now that, you know, international borders are reopened, state borders are becoming a lot easier to travel through. Hopefully this park sees the success it deserves because it has put a lot of effort in over the last couple of years to open these uh, new attractions. Uh, hopefully... They see, you know, the success for doing that. Mm. And then they can turn around and maybe just fix up those few little iffy things. In Do you know what this park has now? It's mm-hmm. a famous, iconic review time saying. Let me just prepare oh. the microphone for it. Oh, here. It has something for everyone. Oh, there it is. It's got something. <laughs> that is a classic we haven't said for a long time. But hey, if you've made it this far and you're listening in the first 10 episodes of this our episode podcast coming out, a secret little tip. Tomorrow's episode's our first review in two and a half years. <gasps> and it's of the park we just spent the last hour talking about. And so- some would say that that review has Something, Something for, for everyone. everyone. <laughs> I feel sorry for whoever has to edit that. <laughs> good luck that's, to that person. It's crunched. Oh, it's like full peaked oh, out peaked, the microphone. Oh, good luck to either me or you. Who knows? But thank you to you for listening to this week's episode of the show. If you'd like to get in touch oh, and tell smooth. us how much you want to ride Loopy Lighthouse, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Review Time Luke. You can get in touch with me at both of my accounts, Review Time Dom and at Loopy Lighthouse Lover 21. And you can get in touch with both of us at Time Review or at Review Time everywhere else. I've been in touch with heaps of fans of the channel this week, mm. having good chats about different things. So thank you Not for just reaching this out. this week, today. Our yeah, Instagram's going off. going off. So thank <laughs> you to everyone who's getting in touch with us. It's great to hear from you guys how much you enjoy the podcast, the channel, all of that. It does really mean a lot to us. So thank you reaching out we'll be back next 
week with another episode. Nope, wrong. No, you're two weeks wow. time. Leading Sorry. them on. Sorry, don't come back next week. We won't be here. <laughs> Come you back can come week back and after. listen to another episode. Yeah, we've got like 65 episodes. There's plenty to listen to. And come back in two weeks' time for a new episode of the show. We'll see you then. Bye. Review Time Steam Podcast is brought to you by Luke Carroll and Dominic Lacey. A big shout-out goes to our newest patron, Nicole Dwyer. Long-term Patreon, Tyler Mullins. And to you, the listener. Review Time Steam Podcast will be back in two weeks.